If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22. And, and you're going to have to give me a few minutes to, to get to that passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> Felicia said I look like a megachurch pastor with this microphone on this morning. <clears throat> We've been having some trouble with the live feed going in and out, especially when I'm speaking. So we're, we're trying a few different things to see if it maybe will correct some of that some. Some of you, before I finish this service this morning, are not going to think I'm a megachurch pastor. You're going to think I'm a conspiracy nut, all right? And um, I feel like I'm in good company because if you read the Old Testament, the people of Israel felt like Jeremiah was a conspiracy nut too. They paid him very little attention and got them some more preachers to tell them what they wanted them to hear. So um, I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to do this morning, but I am going to give you some disclaimers at the very beginning. This is going to be a whole different kind of message than the kind of message that I'm accustomed to preaching, uh, but I think it's going to be a very, very practical one um, for the time that we live in, and I'm just going to be completely transparent with you. If you'll, if you'll go back over the last month and look at what I've preached, I've kind of built up to this place, and um, if I don't do this this morning, I will feel like I failed in my Ezekiel 33 calling to be a watchman. Um, to the people who God has put under my charge as the pastor of this church. So I've got to do it. Now, I'm not going to stand up here every week and harp on this. We're not going to get hung up on this um, and dwell here every week. But I feel like if I don't do this very, very practical message and help you apply some things, um, then I will have failed in my responsibility as a pastor, not just to look out for your spiritual well-being, um, but to look out for your physical well-being as well. When you look at that Ezekiel chapter 33 passage, Ezekiel um, was not only told to be concerned about the people's spiritual needs. He said, if I send a sword, if I send a judgment into the land, and you don't warn the people, I'll require their blood at your hands. And so um, he was concerned not only about their spiritual well-being, but their physical well-being as well. I have a little bit of a request, and... and um, I'm not make a big deal out of this, but we're not live streaming. You, some of you saw the little video I posted in our private group this week. We're not live streaming this message this morning, and we're not going to post it online. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm just going to ask you very briefly to use discretion when you talk to other people about what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, all right? Just be, and I'm not, I'm, I, I, this is not an attempt to be cultishly secretive. Um, but I just think there's some wisdom and some common sense precaution in just not broadcasting um, this abroad. I'm speaking specifically to our church family this morning, and even more specifically than that, to the men in the church. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is not to incite any panic or fear. We've got enough of that going on in the world today, so this isn't about making you panic or about making you afraid. Um, what I want to do is, is instead of that, excite in us a measure of, of, of prudency or wisdom that just motivates us to do a little bit of better preparation for, for whatever it is that lies ahead of, ahead of us. And my, my, over, my, my initial goal from the outset, before I get very practical, is just going is, is to be to prove to you that what I'm sharing with you is biblical in nature, that I'm not a right-wing conspiracy. Well, I may be a right-wing conspiracy. <laughs> not, but I may be that... Um, but there's some biblical precedents behind what I want to share with you, and I want to prove that to you 
so that you don't walk away from here saying he's just quit preaching the Bible altogether. A few months ago, our master's men ministry formed a team of men to just talk about some practical preparations that we might be able to make um, for future catastrophic events. Um, and that could, that could look any kind of way. I mean, we, I'm talking about a natural disaster type situation. Um, y'all remember, was it last year, Texas had the rare blizzard? Y'all remember that? Those folks couldn't get food. They couldn't get supplies. Nobody could get in. Nobody could get out. There were literally folks in the United States of America that were starving. And we saw some of their messages being sent out. Those folks were in, in, in a, just a destitute place. Um, Colquitt, Georgia, never dreamed they'd get hit with a Category 3, Category 4 hurricane. A few years ago, they did. Um, we're not any further from the coast than Colquitt, Georgia is. Um, there are earthquakes and natural disasters showing up all over the world, so we don't know what lies ahead for us in that regard. Um, we've already seen this in the last year and a half. There have been some pretty major supply chain interruptions where um, the, and the supply chain's still not healed. And you ask anybody that's in any kind of purchasing or in any kind of construction industry, any, anybody that's dependent on getting supplies, the supply chain is still not up and running at 100%. It's just not. And if that supply chain breaks down completely, um, if you let Kroger and Walmart go a week without getting truck deliveries in, all of a sudden we've turned from um, just a, um, a, a mild inconvenience to a very bad situation. Um, I hate to say this, but I've... You know, I believe it's inevitable that our economy is going to collapse. I, I, I just don't see it turning around without first just hitting rock bottom. Um, that's been the cycle. I mean, it literally has been the cycle. Um, nations climb in prosperity. Inflation kind of takes over. A huge bubble forms, and then that bubble bursts, and everything just kind of comes tumbling down behind it. Um, I would encourage you to just do a little bit of research on the Great Depression. And what happened after the Wall Street fall and how things just kind of tumbled out of control. And it's very specifically, look at the banking crisis of 1933 that began in Detroit because Detroit was in bad shape with their automobile sales. And, um, and the mayor of Detroit actually signed an executive decree that shut down the banks in the G Detroit area. Um, because people were rushing in because of the collapse, because of the destitute times, people were withdrawing money and putting the bank in danger of being um, insolvent, and, they, uh, and, and so they closed the banks. Nobody could access any more of their money, and that began a chain reaction across our nation, and I believe there were like 30, 37, 40 states um, that, that declared a bank holiday, literally a federal, uh, a state declared shutdown of the financial institutions to kind of let them regain their footing um, so that people would quit withdrawing all their money out of it. And it left people without any means to support themselves. And there's still a provision federally that our federal government can declare a federal bank holiday and shut down the banking system. And if you want to see people go crazy, shut them off from their supply of money. There's a whole lot of new realities around us that we don't, uh, we don't have a clue where it's going to take us. I am neither pro or anti-vaccine, so don't, 
This ain't about that, but vaccine mandates may produce a situation that we have never dealt with before. I was reading this week in, in Australia because of some vaccine mandates there. The truckers in Australia are staging a protest strike. They are determined to rail against the tyranny and stop the supply chain from moving to the point of blocking the interstates with their trucks. Now, I'm here to tell you, if the trucking industry decides that they want to go on a nationwide strike in America, our resources are going to be cut off very, very quickly. How long they, how long they do that depends on how desperate our situation might get. We're living in an increase, increasingly cashless culture. So even if you have money in your pocket, y'all remember last year, we saw businesses in our area that said, Credit only, no cash. Y'all remember that? Um, if you went into places and tried to give them cash, they tell you, we, we, even if we take it, we can't give you any change in return. National coin shortage. We've already been getting some glimpses of this over the last year and a half, what, what kind of possibilities might arise in a culture that has gone largely cashless. Um, and and I, granted, I probably read more of this stuff than any of y'all do, but I've heard some, some pretty notable people say that it's not a matter of if our electrical grid goes down, it's just a matter of when. Um, remember a few months ago, somebody hacked the gas pipeline. And everybody made it because, and listen, even when the word got out, there wasn't a gas shortage, by the way. There never was, but somebody hacked the gas supply line shut down that flow of, of, of fuel, and all of a sudden the world went into a panic, and there were gas stations all over our area that were completely devoid of fuel. Our electrical grid is set up the same kind of way. Um, they don't come and read your meters anymore. All that stuff's passing through um, the World Wide Web. Every part of our being right now is being monitored and controlled via the internet, and y'all know this, we know this, it's vulnerable to attack. It's vulnerable to a crash. And that can happen anytime, and, and we don't, we can't foresee that, we can't, we, we, you know, there's just a lot of vulnerabilities around us that I think we're completely ignorant of, um, or just want to pass out of our mind. Our way of life is more dependent on what other people do right now than we have ever been in our nation's history. Will you agree with that? We are more dependent on what other people do or don't do than we have ever been in the history of our nation. And a whole lot of that is way beyond our ability to control. I don't have any control over the electrical grid. I don't have any control over the trucking industry. I don't have any control over a lot of the things that can affect me and my family in a very negative way so we form this group um, in our in our men's ministry to just talk about what can we do and what should we do um, to prepare for such an event as that a natural disaster um, a collapse of the financial system um, a, an interruption of the supply chain whatever it looks like what can we do to prepare ourselves for that um, proverbs 22 3 says that a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on 
and are punished. Now, I like the New Living Translation of that. A little bit easier to read. A little bit easier to comprehend. And I think it says the same thing. A prudent person, a wise person foresees danger. And you could even say foresees the potential for danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. It's one of the only verses that I know of. There may be another one. I've never really researched it. But that verse is, is quoted verbatim in Proverbs 27, 12 again. It's like the wisdom of Solomon said, let me put this in there twice just so they know that there is a prudency in looking ahead and seeing what the possibilities are for danger and preparing yourself for that. And so here's, here's kind of, we've named our ministry, we've named our, that group of men and the initiative that we want to set in action, we've named it the 22-3 initiative after Proverbs 22-3. Now all these men in here that are hunters or, or uh, Second Amendment guys know that 223 is one of the most popular rounds of ammunition and rifles out there. So this will be easy for you to remember. When you see the 223 or the 223 initiative, you'll know we're just talking about being prepared for whatever dangers or precautions might be ahead for us. And here's the 223 initiative in kind of a mission statement form to equip our church family with the information, tools, and resources to be prepared for potential dangers that are ahead. And there are kind of two facets to what we want to do. And one is just to be prepared for an immediate emergency situation where there's a natural disaster, a grid collapse, um, um, any, you know, an, an immediate emergency response to a catastrophic event, whatever that might look like. There's some folks in Louisiana this morning that are going to be in the middle of an immediate catastrophic event. Some of them will have, because they, a lot of them have lived there for all their life, they know what this looks like. Some of them will be well prepared for what's coming. Some won't be prepared at all. Um, it can happen to anybody. So we want an immediate response to a catastrophic event. And the other is a long-term goal to become a little bit more or a lot more self-sufficient um, and sustainable in what would happen if this thing is carried out over a long period of time. What happens if a couple of weeks turn into a couple of months? What happens if a couple of months turns into a year? What happens if we can't get our feet back under us very quickly? How do we survive beyond that period of time? So uh, let me just begin before I dig into some scripture and show you some examples and some exhortations about this. Just ask you a simple question just to make you think, just so you know I ain't just as far out there as I can be, um, how many of us, and you ain't got to show your hand, I just want you to think about the question, how many of us have enough food in our home to go 30 days without a trip to the grocery store? I'm going to be honest, Cindy and I buy weekly. I mean, that's what we do. Um... How many of us have enough food in our home if the electrical grid failed and everything in our refrigerator or freezer was ruined? How long could we go? That, I just want you to think about that concept because here's, here, we get this mentality sometimes it can't happen to us, but it does happen to us. 
It happens every year to us across this country. The fact that it hadn't happened to us in particular don't mean it can't happen. Listen, we went over there helping folks in Colquitt, Georgia. I carried two of the biggest pots of soup you've ever seen in your life. There was like 40 gallons of vegetables, 40 pounds of hamburger meat. Them folks have been eating light bread and hot dogs and potted meat for about two weeks by the time we got there. I ain't never seen 40 gallons of soup go so fast. They wanted something hearty in their stomach because they, they've been tired of eating um, just whatever they could get their hands on. It, it happens. It has happened. It will happen. And we need, to, we need to make some preparations to be prepared for it. So is it biblical? Is it biblical to try to prepare for unforeseen things in the future? Or is it the antithesis of trusting God to provide? And I'll be honest with you, I believe you can get in both ditches. Um, I believe you can do nothing and say, I'm just going to trust God. And we don't, we don't do that with our everyday life. We just don't do that. We understand, yeah, God will provide, but he wants me to go to work. I got to do my part. When I have done my part, God will, God will take care of what I can. And, and so there, this, is, this is not the antithesis of trusting God to provide. What it is, I believe, is putting faith in what God said just in Proverbs 22, 3, and I'm going to give you some other verses, but putting faith in what God said that it is prudent, it is wise to foresee potential dangers and make preparations for it. It's foolish to ignore those things and go blindly on and just have to suffer the consequences. So I want to just take a look at some biblical examples of preparing and some exhortations to do so. I'm going to walk you through these as quickly as I can and then get to the heart of the practical things that, I, that, that we're preparing to do. Genesis chapter 6, verse 21. The first time God judged the world as a whole. Not the first time he judged an individual, but the first time he judged the world as a whole. He found Noah to be faithful. Noah found grace in his eyes because of the life that Noah lived. He gave specific instructions for Noah about building a huge boat, um, down to the dimensions of it, what it was to be made of, how he was to, to seal it up, and how he was to take two of every kind of, of, uh, of, of, of animal on and seven of every um, clean animal on. I mean, he, he made very specific instructions for Noah to do to protect himself and his family for what was coming. In verse 21, he said specifically, take Thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Now Noah was in that boat. He, built, he spent 120 years preparing for chapter 6, verse 21. Spent 120 years preparing for that. And at that time, the earth had never seen rain. But the Bible said Noah moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his family and those animals that were on board that ark. I believe that's a literal story. And they spent over a year in that ark gleaning from the things that they had prepared, eating what they had prepared until God released them from the ark to repopulate and multiply upon the earth again. Genesis chapter 41, verse 54. Joseph's whole life story was built around this thing that he would one day find himself in Egypt 
where a, where, a, where a pharaoh had a dream about seven fat cows and then seven lean cows coming along and eating those fat cows. And when that king had that dream on multiple occasions and nobody could tell him, somebody remembered that Joseph had been an interpreter of dreams. Joseph came to that king and said, Here's what your dream means. This is what God told me your dream means, that we're going to have seven years of plenty, prosperity, abounding crops. And then we're going to have seven years of famine in the which all those years of prosperity will soon be forgotten. Joseph's whole life was built up for this particular point. Pharaoh put him in charge. Joseph required that all of the crops of the land, I believe it was one-fifth, I didn't go back and, and do a whole lot of research into it, that they had to take one-fifth of the crops and put them in storage, put them in storage, put them in storage. He heaped up corn and grain. Seven years of plenty, he took a portion of it. Rather than just eating everything they produced, he took a portion of it and stored it and stored it and stored it and stored it. Verse 54 said, Seven years of dearth or famine began to come, according as Joseph has said, and the famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. Now we know that Joseph saved not only the people in Egypt, but everybody that came to Egypt for food, including his own family that sold him into slavery that placed him in Egypt. The, the hand of God's sovereignty is all over that story. And you look at chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph told his brothers after their father died, they thought Joseph will exact his revenge upon us now that our father's dead. And Joseph, this is his assurance to them. As for you, you fought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. How did he do that? By planning and preparing for the future catastrophic event of a famine. Proverbs chapter 21, 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. In other words, a wise man has a reserve. The foolish man spends everything that he makes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I've used this passage before just to speak of generosity, but there's another principle in play here. Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Um, invest yourself in something that will pay you a return. And then very specifically in verse 2, he says, Give a portion to seven and also to eight. Let me, let me give you a, a, a translation that you can understand a lot easier. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Diversify your investment. Do here, do there. Do, because why? Because you do not know what evil shall be upon the earth. Invest wisely. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 7. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 are probably prophecies about the end times. I don't have time to go into the Gog and Magog and all that kind of stuff, but it is probably a reference to some things that are going to happen during the tribulation. But here's what Ezekiel was told to tell his people. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 7, he said, Be thou prepared and prepare 
for, thy, for thyself, thou, and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. There's some bad times coming. There's some hard times coming. There's some judgment coming. But you be prepared. Prepare yourself. Prepare those that are with you. Prepare for those that are with you. And be a guard unto them. Let me turn you to some New Testament. Luke chapter 22, verse 35 and 36. And Jesus said unto them, When I sent you without purse and without scrip, that's the bag that they would have carried their money and things in, or their food and things in, their sustenance in. When I sent you, this is when he initially called his disciples and sent them out to do his will. When I sent you without purse and bag and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. He provided what they needed. But verse 36, he said unto them, But now, he's about to leave. He's about to, he, he's about to um, take his journey back to heaven and leave his disciples behind on an earth that would hate them and persecute them and imprison them. Um, the Jewish people that followed Jesus were cut off from their families. They were cut off from supply chains. They were cut off. They, a lot of people wouldn't do business with them because they were part of a new sect. And so here's what Jesus said. If you have a purse, take it. And if you have a bag with belongings, with food, take it. And if you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. The time had changed. The situation was changing. And Jesus said, now before he said, you don't go because I'm going to make sure you have what you need. But now, he says, take what you need with you. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or unbeliever. Now that had a very specific reference to taking care of the needs of people that could not take care of themselves. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And I'm not going to take you these scriptures, but you can go read them for yourself. I honestly am a pre-tribulational rapture guy. I believe the Lord's going to take us out of this world before the rapture, but I could be wrong. All right? I got good friends who don't believe that. And they read the same Bible I got and saved by the same Jesus I'm saved by and have the same Holy Spirit living in them. I don't know why we come to different conclusions on it because it looks pretty clear to me in Scripture, but it don't look that clear to them. We're coming to different conclusions on a lot of things nowadays, aren't we? Sometimes it's because just, we're just viewing it from different perspectives, from different backgrounds. We, have, we come to the table with presuppositions that we can't just dismiss. And, and that's just the human, that's the human experience. But if we have to go through the tribulation, we're going to see some of these things come to pass. The first horseman of the apocalypse is the Antichrist. The second horseman is war upon the earth. But when you get to the third horseman, what is described there is, is inflation that goes through the roof so that the money that you have is almost worthless compared to what it used to be worth. And right hand in hand with inflation all through the Bible has been, and in history, is famine. Famine and inflation walk hand in hand. You let famine hit, the food supply gets scarce. We, listen, we saw it last year with hamburger meat. 
Little tubes of one-pound tubes of hamburger meat at Dollar General. When I went in there, I bought everyone they had. I'm hoarding. Six dollars for a pound of hamburger meat. Skyrocketed, literally overnight, because the supply got scarce. Famine and inflation walk hand in hand. The third, the third horseman of the apocalypse is famine and inflation. The fourth horseman of the apocalypse is death by the sword, death by disease, and death by hunger. If you look at the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, and by the way, everything that the Bible says is going to happen in Revelation is going to happen. There ain't nobody on the face of this earth that can stop it from happening. If the Lord Jesus revealed that to John on the Isle of Patmos and said, these are the things which are and the things are the things which have been, the things which are and the things that will be, that was the outline for the message. If he said this is how it's going to be, this is how it's going to be. In the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, 25% of the earth's population dies. One-fourth of the world population dies just under the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. Sword, disease, and hunger. So let me shift gears. Most of you, you it might surprise you to know that most of you are already preppers. Because most of you in this building have made financial preparations for your future. You are investing in stocks, you are investing in a retirement fund, or you are just putting money away in a savings account for your future. Can I tell you that's wise, but that's also preparation. Some of you are uh, investing in your future by purchasing insurance policies, life insurance. You're preparing not only for yourself, but you're preparing for your family's future. Um, you're putting plans in place in case if I ever get cancer, I want a cancer policy. If I ever have this happen to me, I'm going to invest myself in some insurance for the future. That's preparation. You're a prepper. Health care itself. When, if you get up in the morning and take vitamins, if you get up in the morning and do what your doctor told you to do, if, if you exercise, if you try to eat right, if you do all of those things, you're not, just, you're not just taking care of today. You're doing your very best to take care of tomorrow too. So we're preppers in a lot of different areas of our life already. But what the 22-3 initiative does is kind of cover some other areas of our life that our finances may not handle, that our, that our insurance may not step in and help us, or that our health and strength may not provide for us. Do you understand it's possible that you can't buy what you need regardless of how much money you have? If it's not there to buy, your money is worthless. So here's the thing. And I'm on, I'm, I'm, we're just going to get very practical from here on out, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to do and what we plan to do. We do not have to get completely caught off guard. We do not have to be completely unprepared for a catastrophic event, whatever that looks like. We don't. Now, I'm, you know, I'm a big Second Amendment fan, and here's a saying that you'll hear a lot of times when it comes to firearms. I'd rather need it I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. 
And so I want you to look at everything I'm about to tell you from this point forward. It's better to have it and not need it than it is to need it and not have it. So our end goal is just to become more self-sufficient and less reliant on other people for the basic necessities we have of life. And right now, where we want to start at is just building a safety net, a safety net perimeter, just to kind of hedge us in in the event of an immediate catastrophic event and just be basically prepared for an emergency situation. So we're launching this initiative, and, and I'm considering it being launched today, and we're going to begin to implement some of it in the next few weeks by challenging some personal steps for you as families and then telling you how you can help us as a church so that we can later help you as families of the church. And, and me and I want you, ladies, you can go to sleep if you want to because now I want the men to just pay attention. Uh, some of you ladies wish you hadn't even come today because this kind of talking makes you scared. I don't talk about it a lot around my wife because it makes her anxiety levels go. But I'm just laying this out there because as men of the household, you know this. Your responsibility is to provide, protect, and promote the welfare of your family. Amen. So you've got to be prepared for whatever comes. So let me start with you personally. This is what I want every family in our church to consider putting together immediately for the sake of your family. Get you an emergency supply of food and a source of water. I know some of you don't have wells. Some of you have have city water and and listen to me there's no guarantee that's going to work there's so many things that are controlled by other people that we have no control over you got to have food and you got to have water you may go a week without food but you won't go more than three days without water and you're going to get in trouble An emergency supply of food and water looks to me like at least 30 days with a preference of having 90 days. You got, there's a lot of options for this out there. You can, you can just set aside you a revolving stack of canned goods, start buying a little bit extra, putting them on the shelf, putting them in a, back, in a, in a place in the back, some dry goods, some non-perishables in case your refrigeration system goes down some ways to purify water if your water supply is cut off. There are life straws out there now that are, that are very inexpensive that you could literally drink water out of a ditch if you needed to by using that filtration system that that life straw brings. It's there. It's available to us. You can buy it. Last time I went to Sam's, they had them in Sam's. Or you can buy for your food supply. If you don't want a lot of storage place, you can buy an MRE-style dry, uh, freeze-dried, supply of food those buckets on the corners of the stage are mine you can't have them if you didn't prepare i'll throw you a packet out the door i have no intention whatsoever of eating what's in that bucket although they have made it look kind of appetizing on the front i got a feeling it ain't gonna taste as good as it looks and i know ain't ain't nobody in my house gonna eat that You'd be surprised what you eat when you get hungry. There's a passage in the book, in the Bible, that says that Israel were besieged by a foreign nation one time. They cut off the food and the water supply. Those folks were eating dove's dung. 
and donkeys' heads. And the famine got so bad that they resorted to cannibalizing the babies. That's in Israel's history. That ain't never going to happen to this preacher, man. I'm telling you, history repeats itself more ways than we want to say that it does. If you think people are more civilized today than they've ever been, they are not. A wicked man pursuing the lust of his flesh and the lust of his eyes and the power that life affords him has no scruples whatsoever. He's a self-preservationist. He'll do whatever is necessary to preserve himself. So get you an emergency supply of food and water. Get you an emergency supply of medications. And I don't know, you might and talk to Sammy or some other medical personnel. You might want to talk with your pharmacist. If you are dependent upon diabetic medications, if you're dependent upon heart medications, if you're dependent on any kind of medication um, to, to have a quality of life, you might want to consider seeing if you can get a prescription that'll help you put some in store just in case you can't get access to a pharmacy. Look for over-the-counter alternatives uh, when possible. Uh, take, get vitamins because if you can't get a good food supply, you may need to supplement um, to keep your body healthy enough to survive. You may have to supplement uh, what you're eating with some supplemental vitamins. Um, get yourself a basic emergency supply kit. Um, consider just buying the, the um, Academy sells them for like 20 bucks. Just a very simple, basic first aid kit. Um, I hesitate to even tell you this, but I've, I've gone to some meetings through my life uh, of some men, including some doctors and some attorneys and some people that are high standing in our community um, that have taken preparation for potential catastrophes very seriously. And one of those meetings that I went to, a physician had what, they, what we would call a bug out bag where he presented what is an emergency supply of medications and basic first aid necessities um, in the event I had to leave my home and go live outside of the city, um, I, I have what I need in this bag. I can grab it and go. The other things that you can do, and I'm just going to run through these very quickly for the sake of time. You need to consider personal defense. And I'm just going to say this, y'all. We've seen it all over the news in the last few years. And it doesn't take much to trigger it. The people panic very quickly. And if you have the resources they need, they'll take it from you. You need an alternative source of power. We are so dependent on electricity now. If we don't have electricity, a lot of our food supply has perished. If we don't have a supply of electricity and all of our cooking appliances are electric, we don't have a means of purifying water or cooking food. Consider some alternative communication devices because you may not be able to access the news that you need to access or communicate with the people you need to communicate with. Do y'all remember just a few months ago in Cuba, Cuba shut down the internet so that those people could not see what was going on inside their own nation. They cut it off. They cut down people's ability to communicate with each other. You got to do, I, we can't do all those things for you, 
But as a family, I want you to consider taking some of those personal steps towards your future security in the event of a catastrophe. Here's what we're going to try to do as a church family and that we need all of you to help us do. And I'm not getting into all the details. I just want to give you a broad overview. We are going to try to have on hand at least a 30-day and potentially a 90-day supply of food here at the church. It's one of those deals where I, the reason I ask you at the beginning is to be discreet about who you share this with is because if the whole world ain't got no food and they find out we do, we won't be able to feed very many people for very long. We've already put some plans in place to take dry foods, rice, beans, flour, cereal grains, different things like that, dry, non-perishable foods, seal them in bags that will last 25, 30 years. Nobody really knows how long they'll last because it hadn't really been tried. But they would have a shelf life of 20 to 30 years just to store away in case you run out of your food supply that you have at your house that we might have something to take care of our church family. Um, so beginning in September, um, in this little room that the men used to meet in, it's an overflow space now, we're going to set some containers up in there. And what we're going to ask you to do is to bring different dry goods about every two weeks we do, we do this at Thanksgiving and Christmas every year. We ask you to help us fill up 10 boxes of food for 10 families for Thanksgiving or Christmas. This is for a little different reason. We're going to try to prepare ourselves as a church for the people that didn't adequately prepare themselves or to take us beyond a 30 or 90-day supply that you may have at your house. So we're going to tell you to bring in two weeks rice and beans. How much rice would your family eat in three months? How much dry beans would your family eat in three months? Now, we don't want you to bring canned goods because there's a short shelf life on canned goods. Dry stuff. How much flour? How much sugar? How much? We're going to ask you to, we're going to do it incrementally, but we're going to have a stockpile of food on hand. Extra fuel resources. We have a big generator that'll power that building out back that's hooked to our deep well that'll supply water. If we can't get propane, that generator will run out of fuel and we won't have any way to pull water or to keep our food cold that's in the freezer. So here's, what, here's, here's a way that you can help us do that. If every family in this church will purchase and fill a 20-pound propane cylinder, not for your own personal use, but to bring to the church if we needed it, I don't want you to bring, we don't want you to bring these here because there's a safety hazard involved in storing that much propane on site. But if our tank goes dry, um, we can still power up refrigeration units. We can still power up some things that we need to with 20-pound propane cylinders. And if, and, and if nothing else, we've got, listen, we feed 500 people New Year's Eve on propane cookers. We can purify water. Um, we can cook food. Financial contributions, we're going to ask you to make some contributions to the men's ministry that we're going to use to make tools or to buy tools and to purchase resources that will benefit all of us. Now, let me walk you through the last little list and I'm done. In the long-term initiative, what we're, going to, what we're going to try to do in the long term is this 22-3 initiative and this 22-3 team of men that we put together is working to implement some self-sustaining strategies, which includes... A, 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 a food supply, not only for emergency use, but 
a sustaining food supply. The way we're going to do that is store seed that can be planted. I found it interesting that in some of the pyramids where they discovered seeds, they planted those seeds that had been buried for 3,000 plus years and those seeds germinated and grew a crop. Some of the seeds that you buy today won't reproduce. They're hybrids. They're genetically modified. They won't reproduce. They'll grow a plant, but they won't grow fruit. We're going we're to store heirloom seeds that if in the event we went beyond 30 days, beyond 90 days, beyond six months, we have a self-sustaining supply of produce, of vegetables that we can grow ourselves. And we've also talked about some protein production, um, food preservation, learning how to, to um, preserve dry goods. Uh, I've already got a class that we're working on lining up about how to can meat and vegetables. Um, some of you ladies already are well-versed at canning things in jars, but I've never canned meat, but I know some people that are canning meat, and it's good. It's, um, it, it's, it's wholesome. It's protein. We need that protein. Um, some alternative methods of food preservation as well. A water supply. We have an intention. We, we've not done it yet, but a shallow well is good to have around because you can draw water from the ground with a mechanical pump. You can't draw water from a deep well with a mechanical pump. It's too far down to pull the water up. So installing a shallow well on the premises so that we have a, a clean, fresh water supply. Um, we're we're going to talk about some defense strategies, which include some communication methods and some structures of communication, as well as some, securing some resources for that, specifically for our church family. Alternative power sources, um, possibly including some solar Units that charge batteries when a generator does not have a fuel supply. There's also alternative um, generator generators that use different types of fuel um, that we're going to look into trying to uh, possibly obtain. And some training opportunities. Listen, this is good for us if we don't need it or not. You know, if we never need it, it's good to know how to can food. It's good to know how to preserve things. It's good to know how to build a fire when you can't find matches. It's, and so we have an intention over the next several years even to begin to train ourselves to become more self-sufficient and less reliant on other people. Now, I'm done. Some of you are looking a little starstruck already, and I know why. Because the more you look at this, the more overwhelming it becomes and the more it seems like we can't do that. But we can do that if we take very small, deliberate steps, we can begin to prepare for catastrophic events. We don't have to do it overnight. And, and, and I've, I've said this to the men several times. There's a, there's a sense of urgency, but I also understand that necessity is the mother of invention, so in, when it becomes necessary, things will begin to move very rapidly because we'll see the urgency and feel the urgency and work harder towards it. Um, there are groups in our country that have been living just like I just told you for decades. Y'all want me to name one? The Amish. The Amish ain't going to be worried when the gas pipeline shows down. The Amish ain't going to be worried when the refrigerator don't work. The Amish ain't going to be worried when you shut down the bank. The Amish ain't going to be worried about a lot of the things that would shut the rest of us down. I think they got some good ideas and some simple ways of living that if we knew how they do some of those things, we could be better prepared 
for what might be ahead. Our lives are really complicated right now. And, they, and they are, there are too many variables and vulnerabilities that can throw us completely out of whack. Y'all know that's true, don't you? Completely out of whack. And all of a sudden, we're running around scurrying. Y'all been in the grocery store yet that the shelves have been empty? I went in Kroger one day last year and saw an old man. I know him. He's a wonderful old man, lives by himself, a, a, a widower. He was walking around the store looking for some meat. Wasn't anything there. Nothing but some stuff that he'd probably never seen, never cooked before. I saw him stoop down and get way into the back of one of those shelves and grab a pack of hot dogs somebody had overlooked. And I thought to myself, that man has been accustomed to coming to the grocery store every week or every other week to get the basic necessities that he lives off of, and they're not there now. I want us to even be able to help folks like that. I wish I could have said, follow me, and I'll give you some of what I got. The truth of the matter is it caught a bunch of us off guard. I think if we learn to live a little bit more simply, even if we never need any of these things, it'll bring us some peace. Can I tell you, them buckets right there, there's a there's hundred servings of food in that bucket. That's supposed to be one person 30 days, basically 1,300 calories a day in that bucket. All you need is water to rehydrate it. I don't want to eat that, but having that in my house makes me feel better. Well, me and my wife going to eat for at least a month. I might not have no Klondike bars or Little Debbie snacks. Which is going to be crisis for me. <laughs> and I'm going to have to discipline myself not to eat a whole pack or four or five packs of them pancakes in a day because they look pretty good on the front of that thing. But in, in a time of necessity, I think I can lose a few pounds. <laughs> At the end of the day, let me just close with this. It's isn't about hoarding stuff up for ourselves. It isn't about guarding what we have from others. It's about stewardship. Can I just tell you that this is basic, simple, prudent wisdom to use what God has given to us already to help ourselves in the future and potentially to help other people in the future. And I'm, what I'm asking you to do is to do what we can and what we should and then just trust God to miraculously provide for us what we can. Do you know in the wilderness, I researched this a little bit more, when they left Egypt, they went out of Egypt. Israel went out of Egypt. And the Bible says this, they spoiled the Egyptians, and they took with them a whole bunch of cows and gold and silver. 600,000 men left Egypt. Estimates are, if that's just the men, there were two million Israelites that walked out of Egypt on Passover night headed for the Promised Land. It took them about two and a half months to get across the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And two and a half months into their journey, they ran out of food. 
Now, I don't imagine, I looked up some population. Atlanta has right at 600,000 people in it. Jacksonville has a little better than 900,000. So we're talking about the total population of Atlanta probably four times, Jacksonville twice. They'd have had to carry a whole pile of cows, feed all them folks for an extended period of time. They lasted two and a half months and they ran out. Guess what God did? I'll send you what you need. Now, he could have done that on day one, but it was an act of faith for them to move in preparation for where God was moving them. So we're going to do what we can do, and then we're going to trust God to do the rest. And, um, and I want you to just kind of keep your eyes on the bulletin, keep your eyes on the church group page for information about how we want you to help out when we begin to build this emergency supply up. And let me just close by saying this. I don't know where we're headed, but I'm going to tell you this. If you don't know Jesus, you can't save yourself or sustain yourself through what's coming. I'm telling you this with all sincerity in my heart. The last year and a half has made me consider the sovereignty of God more than I ever have in my life. And the more I have considered that, the more I have determined that He is good, that His plans are good, that he is able to save me and sustain me through whatever the enemy brings to me. And I am, I, I mean this in all sincerity. You can say, oh, you bluff. You don't, you, you can't. I'm telling you, I am at peace right now. I'm at peace. I don't know what's ahead. My wife's favorite song, I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. The God I know knew this day was coming. I was born. You were born for such a time as this. I believe God wants to use his church in the midst of these last days to show the world who he is and what he's capable of. Lord, I don't, even have, I don't know how to give an invitation to this. Just if you don't know Jesus, you ain't going to make it. The Bible said, in fact, the deception is going to be so bad in the last days that even the very elect are going to have trouble sorting out the truth from the lies of the enemy. We need Jesus. Christy, come. Musicians, come. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that that word's been received this morning. I, first, I pray that I've preached it in a way that, that, that honors you and honors your word. My intention this morning has not been to incite fear, but to excite wisdom. In fact, your word says that fear is the beginning of wisdom, so perhaps just seeing the potential for some things ahead will move us to be prudent in our preparations for it. And God, I honestly hope and pray with everything that's in me that we don't have to go through the tribulation. That's what I believe your word teaches, and that's still what I'm trusting. But if perhaps I'm wrong, I want to do what I can to prepare myself and to prepare your people for what lies ahead. So just help us, God. Give us wisdom. I pray for the team of men that have been together planning. We got all kind of...
come from different backgrounds. We got a wonderful church. God, you've blessed us with a group of folks that we are well equipped in a lot of different areas. We got farmers and pharmacists and, and doctors and skilled workers and you've brought all of us here and all of our diversity and given us all kind of unique resources that we can tap into. And if we can do what we can do to prepare ourselves, when the time comes and we're all pulling together, Lord, I feel good about who we are and about how well you have equipped us to take care of each other. Help us just to be prudent and make all those necessary preparations that we can and help us most of all to trust you uh, to do those things that we can. If there's somebody here that don't know Jesus, honestly don't even I don't know how they're even going through their day by day life right now without him if they don't know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life if they don't know that they're going to heaven when they leave this world I pray you speak to their heart right now in this very moment excite with them within them a faith in who Christ is and what he's done and may they turn in Him today in repentance for salvation. Doesn't matter, Lord. I, there's a lot of stuff in the end of this book. It's frightening to read. But the last two chapters, the last three chapters, make it abundantly clear that those who trust in Christ come out on top victorious forevermore. Have your will and way in Jesus' name.